Hey, what's going on? It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined, as always, by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Strands, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game, now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, you can get your thoughts in now. What's going on, Dresser? It was a spicy show yesterday it turned into. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I didn't feel like it was overly spicy. I don't think it was like a habanero show. It was maybe <laughs> it was maybe like a little bit of light jalapeno. What's the what's the scale? Like, like Scoville. Co- Scoville. That's right. I was thinking Coville. Scoville. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how to rank things on the scale. I'm not a big spice guy. Really? I, I, I am a I'm shocked. huge coward when it comes to spice. We'll have to don't change like that. It. No. You know what we should no, do? We, um, we should do a Hot Ones <laughs> summer Absolutely show. Absolutely not. Absolutely really? not. Like you legit cannot tolerate. No, I can. It's just like I don't ha- like... I don't take any pleasure from it. Okay, here, I need to know this, though. If you eat something spicy, do you immediately start waving your hands at your mouth while saying, spicy? No, I do not. <laughs> I do not do that. Okay. That sounds like more of a you thing. <laughs> who does that? Yeah, who spicy. Does that Ooh, hot, spicy. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. Kids, you know who does that? Children. That's true. That kids. sounds like a meme. Kids do do that. Kids do that every time they eat something spicy. That's why you tell them that stuff you don't want to share with them is spicy. Kids also can't identify like what it. spice actually is. Like a lot of kids use That's spice true. as a synonym for flavor. Yeah. It's oh, like, oh, this is too spicy. It's, it's not. There's literally not a <laughs> single spice in it. But okay, whatever, whatever you say. Um, I. I have basically no limit in terms of my spice tolerance, there with the go. exception that I can't do, like, I can't, like, rub a ha- habanero on my eyes. Sure. Why would that ever come up? Who, do people do that? Yes. What? There are there are spice competitions in India, and, and legitimately they sell out stadiums, and, like, at the end, the winner will be, like, holding, like, multiple dried ghost peppers and, like, rubbing them on their eyes while they get a standing ovation from the crowd. <laughs> It's wild stuff. I don't Sounds care like for a it. good Friday show. <laughs> Have your answer rub uh, peppers. I don't care eye. for it. No, thank you. And then and then everyone in the crowd all at once. Spicy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, <laughs> speaking of spiciness uh, or something, I don't know. I really like spice. That's why I can tell. This, 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 you 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 maybe drove down the wrong road. Here. Uh, that's all right. Whatever. I'm like I can go all day. Let's talk about different types of peppers. <laughs> no, I'm good. Um... <laughs> We'll see. We'll see if it's going to be a spicy pepper tonight at Rogers Arena. I'm not so sure about that. But the Canucks host the Blackhawks tonight. And should we mark, by the way, like this might be Jonathan Tavis's last game at Rogers Arena. And there's no one else who like mattered in that rivalry on the ice in any way, shape, form, or otherwise for either team. You know, like. Oh, who's left, you mean? Yeah. yeah like, that's a good point. This is it. This is like. Now, it's been it for like eight years. But, like, truly, this is sort of, like, the last guy who's going to, you know, have meant something to Canucks fans is the biggest rival this team has had in a generation. And probably the last time he skates on this ice sheet tonight. Uh, you know, not we don't have to dwell on it. We don't have to do, like, a retrospective of the Blackhawks-Canucks rivalry. But it felt like in setting up a game against a Blackhawks team that is terrible, mm-hmm. you know, there's, like, two storylines worth just briefly mentioning. Jason Dickinson revenge game. <laughs> sure. 
and and you know the true like the true end of the Blackhawks team so widely loathed the dragon that was slayed in this marketplace. Well, and of course, even in that game, right? He was such a vital part of it, tying it up to send it to <laughs> overtime. Like uh, that shorthanded goal is the most underrated clutch goal I've ever seen. That's the angriest I've ever been watching a sport. Oh game. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So like I was like on edge after that. Oh. Like I was not not happy. Staring into the abyss, right? Like it's just like, "Oh my god. Oh my god." Um but when you rewatch that goal and realize that like Dan Hamhuse is like sitting on him. <laughs> he stands back up to shoot the puck. Like it's it's a truly ridiculous individual effort extraordinarily unlikely uh, that they would have tied it up and then every Canucks fan contemplating life and the meaning of it all for about 30 minutes yep. until pretty Alex much Burroughs ended it trying to de-stress in any way possible between then and uh and when what, did, what did you do I actually uh I I got out my uh laptop I was just watching it at home right because I actually had a law school exam the next day so I was trying to like study for a law school exam while watching game seven no it was a horrible experience uh, and I just like fired up some computer games. I think like some Red Alert two. I was just like Ooh. I need to like zone out and just nice. like pwn bad guys. Yeah, in you Red need Alert to two for some buildings with Tanya. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sweet. Just like empty my mind and do it on muscle memory. That's what I did. Um, okay, I, I just ate like four straight ghost peppers and went spicy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, Canucks Blackhawks tonight, and I I'm kind of of two minds about this because on the one hand it's like. How will the Canucks respond after Rick Tockett questions their professionalism? But on the other hand, it's it's the fifth to last game of the season against the Blackhawks, against arguably the worst team in the NHL. So, yeah, I want to see a response. I want to see them not be unprepared and not be listless and not be, you know, mentally weak, as Rick Tockett suggested after the game, not have bad body language. But it's also the Blackhawks. So, like, okay, I don't know. It's it's a hard one for me to judge. You want to see that response, but you also have to really take into account uh, the team they're playing. Although, to be fair, the Blackhawks pulled off the stunner against Calgary earlier in the week. Oh, the Blackhawks can beat you. Well, any team can. That's what I'm any saying. team can beat any other team. The Blackhawks can beat you. They just don't usually. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they are very bad. Um, no, I mean, look, this Canucks team should win. They should win. It would be amazing if they didn't. That would be a phenomenal accomplishment. How about the stakes of this game from Chicago's perspective? Let's talk about that. All right. Because the Blackhawks have really done something that deserves some applause, especially in a market where it's mocked so roundly as a as a course of action, even though it's clearly rational. Blackhawks have completely dismantled their club, right? And it's not just Patrick Kane. It's like Sam Lafferty and, and Jake McCabe were mm -hmm. basically like free. Max Domi was Max a Domi, free agent. Yep. Free. Like they're just manufacturing value and actively sabotaging their NHL roster. They're at a point where, you know, other than Seth Jones and his brother, Jason Dickinson and Jonathan Taves, like I challenge you to, you know, Pierre Maguire, tell me where a single guy played their junior career. <laughs> you know, like legitimately it's the most anonymous team I've ever seen in in NHL competition. And tonight, they're tied four points with the Anaheim Ducks and the Columbus Blue Jackets going into the game tonight. Like, the stakes for the end of the season, this is 
this is the most fascinating end of season race. It's the race for the lo- highest draft lottery odds. Like all of these teams have given it their absolute all. They've emptied their tank. They are using every bit of ingenuity at their disposal, competing with the heart and passion of champions to lose the most, to be the worst. And I find it inspiring. The Blackhawks need to lose tonight, particularly because there's a lot on the line, right? There's a lot on the line. We're all seeing what Connor Bedard is doing in the WHL playoffs, even as his team keeps coughing up 3-1 leads. Have you been watching this last couple nights? Yeah, a little bit. It's incredible. Um, Meanwhile, right, like the Blue Jackets don't play till tomorrow, and they play the Rangers Right, so you you can't afford to seed ground. You can't afford to seed ground. Like none of these teams are going to win games. Blackhawks have done something really admirable here, and they're going to be in tough to execute it against a very inconsistent Canucks team that could potentially permit them to win, just like the Calgary Flames did. And yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one from a Canucks perspective too, because it's uh, you have Washington who has really tumbled down the standings. They're playing Montreal tonight. Uh, so that's a soft matchup for Washington. So that's a chance for them to get two points. And then yep. I believe Detroit is hosting Buffalo, and Buffalo is still kind of no. nominally alive, no. but like they have they, they haven't officially been eliminated. So the, I don't know the what the loss kind of to effort. the Panthers yeah. killed my uh killed my Buffalo could make a late Devon Levi inspired run here vibes. I, I think they're done. But Still a fun season for them. And I will say for tonight's game, because we had the little debate earlier in the week, right? Like the Canucks might have the chance to play spoiler against the Flames on Saturday. And that's still alive, thanks to Calgary beating Winnipeg. Uh, fun last game, night. eh? Do you watch yeah, any of that? I was like, Calgary played that game. Like, well, where was that against Chicago? Seriously, where was I, that? It's, where so, was that? it's so baffling. Where was that for 60 games this year? It's so baffling. But anyways. Do you know, do you know by the way, that Jonathan Huberto's points drop from 115 to 59 is, is probably an NHL record for a non-injured player? That's wild. Whew. So you still have the he chance to play spoiler against the Flames on Saturday. I don't really care about it, but my condition is this. Lose tonight and then go nuts and cheer for the win well, on Saturday. You know what I mean, Greg? Like... Flip the expected loss and the expected win so it comes out to equal what you would expect out of these two games, and then you can root and go all in on, on playing spoiler on the Flames. On so, Saturday. I mean, I think I think you're looking at this wrong. You have a tremendous opportunity to play spoiler tonight. You just have to lose. <laughs> you can play spoiler twice. You can play spoiler twice like this week. I do and, like that, actually. what is worth more than doing everything in your power to prevent North Connor Vancouver's Bedard Connor from Bedard Chicago. from going to Chicago. That is well worth. Like, this is almost the higher leverage loss for the Canucks. You want to play spoiler, you can play spoiler on Saturday, but this is the one to lose. This is the team worth sabotaging. The evil empire. A Chicago Blackhawks team. Truly, truly despicable in just about every way, despite a, a really impressive <laughs> a bit of work but from them throughout this season to, to tank their odds. Um this is the game to lose. Yeah, I like that framing. Yeah. Well, and they've got a, another one, a couple a couple more next week to end their season where they can play spoiler in the tank battle against Arizona and Anaheim. But Anaheim's, their Anaheim, like, I'm, I'm serious. Like, you know, congratulations to Arizona, San Jose, Montreal, right? Like, solid rebuilding seasons. You'll mm-hmm. get a good player. But Chicago, Columbus, and Anaheim, they have really put themselves into it. Like, and it should be applauded. It takes real work. To finish last. Like, that's the work. Yeah, Anaheim 
kind of did it by accident, though. So like, did Columbus. Saw, well, sure, but that's what I mean. Like, they didn't necessarily put in the work. You know what I mean? They, they Like, did. Chicago did. Well, no, no one put in the work like Chicago did, but Anaheim and Columbus both let their team sit. Sure. Like, once things were going off the rails, they did very little to stop it. To push it back on and, the rails. And, and you know, in, in the case of Columbus, like, traded the goalie who was playing well, right? Like, did all the stuff you need to do to make it to the bottom of the standings. So, I, I think I think they deserve a ton of credit. Some Look, it isn't easy, and not all teams have the stones to be like, oh, we're fifth from the bottom. Let's lean into that. We've seen that, Right. If I'm going to crush the Canucks for handling their business one uh, one way, I got to credit the teams that did the smart stuff, right? The Blackhawks have, the Blue Jackets have, the Anaheim Ducks have, and their teams will be better for it long term. Uh, no morning skate today. We will hear from Rick Tockett later in the show. He spoke at length before the game. Quinn Hughes will play despite missing practice uh, with a non-COVID illness yesterday. Cole McWard will make his NHL debut. It looks like Jack Rathbone and Aiden McDonough uh, the likely scratches tonight, which suggests that Vitaly Kraftsoff will get a chance to get back in the lineup as well. More on that again when we hear from uh, Rick Tockett later in the show. I did want to touch. Is there on... anything Kraftsoff can show you that'll change your mind? I mean, like if he has five incredible games and five, and you know what I mean. Like I guess, but I'm not expecting that. I right. think it's very much going to be an open question going into training camp. I would not expect to have my mind changed either way on Vitaly Kraftsoff at this yep. point in the final five games. Like barring some incredible outlier performance uh, that seems very, very unlikely. I did want to touch on this. Uh, Rick Dollywall, of course, uh, of Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV, also a collaborator with you at The Athletic. I know you don't appreciate that term, but I do think it's accurate. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, interesting comments about the Canucks' right side Quizzling of the defense. Rick Dollywall? No. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> uh, some interesting comments from Donnie and Dolly today about um, – the Canucks right side of the blue line and the future for Ethan bear and the reporting from Rick Dollywell, I'll just summarize it quickly. So this is not verbatim uh, Canucks and Ethan bear talking looks like either a one year or a three year deal. Bear would be fine. According to Dollywell with a one year deal, not the Canucks preference. Cause it doesn't give you any long-term security takes the player right to you to UFA. And again, Dollywell, and I believe he framed this as a guess. So not necessarily reporting. He was saying he's guessing that on a three-year deal in order to buy UFA years, Ethan bear will be looking for an AAV in the high threes is the way that Rick Dollywell framed it. Now, that makes sense. I think there might be a little bit of sticker shock there from Canucks fans. The the idea of Ethan Bear getting that type of raise. He's on the books for the Canucks at only 1.8, right? Because Carolina's retaining uh, salary, but his actual AAV is 2.2. Mm-hmm. Um, but still a pretty significant raise if, if they do go like three years in the, you know, let's say like 3.75, something like that. Uh, maybe a little bit of sticker shock there, but buying UFA years is inherently expensive. Those are the prime earning years for a player. It's going to be costly uh, to lock them up for those years. Well, and you have to consider, too, from a player's perspective, if you're like, of course, you want to do a one year deal, you might be looking at real cap growth on the other side of next season, right? There's at least a, a clear path. I don't think that's something that teams should be betting on in how they commit their money, but it's certainly something that I think players should be cognizant of in, in selling years, right? If you're a right-handed defenseman a year away from unrestricted free agency, 
you're playing for a team that like acquired you midseason. It's not like you're really settled down in the city, mm-hmm. right? It's not like you know you've got a wife from the city and like you've built your life there over time. Um, and a year out from now, the cap might go up, and you're probably going to have another opportunity to play a really big role for that team. You know, you can't in the, given that circumstances or those set of facts. I think you have to be appropriately valuing your UFA years. Now, the way I'd sort of handicap this to to get us to a high threes number is like two and a half for his final arbitration eligible season, plus four, plus four, mm. right? That's sort of like the way to think about it. And that brings you to ten and a half million or 3.5 a year, right? So that's like in and around the neighborhood that that you're looking for. Ethan Bear four million valuation on his UFA years, like it's it feels a bit rich to me given given sort of the fact that I sort of see Bear as a four or five guy. It it this is the thing with UFAs, right? Like you can go through almost any UFA and look at what they're likely to get, and it feels rich based on the player, but that's what they get in the U. And if and well, if Ethan Bear was an unrestricted free agent this year. Like, could he get two years by four million? Absolutely, he could. Um, I think so, but I don't think Eric it's... Branson just got four by four, and I know yeah, physical. Eric Branson's I get a that. unique piece. I get, and he <laughs> no, Eric Branson's a unique profile, and he came with Johnny Gaudreau. Well, that's true. You pay you pay the premium to get the Johnny Gaudreau pitch man. I'm just saying, like sticker, like there's prices get driven up in unrestricted free agency for right shot defensemen, so. Now, having said all this, that doesn't mean, and therefore the Canucks should go out and be the ones to drive the price up for Ethan Bear and sign him to a deal based on what he's likely to get at the UFA market. And, you know, when I was, uh, when I was hosting with Bruff on the morning show, I, I called Ethan Bear potentially. I asked the question, could he be a luxury the Canucks can't afford? And people were getting on me and ragging on me like, oh, he's not a luxury. He's a potentially a bottom pair defenseman. And the way I should have phrased it is like, they're going to be paying him as a luxury they can't necessarily afford. Because if you're paying almost $4 million or high threes for a guy that's kind of a 4-5 or five defenseman, that takes him from being like a nice contributing piece on his current number, a player I like on his current number, to are you really getting value out of that? Like, is it are you getting enough value for it to be worth locking in for three years on that number, right? Like, that's the question I've had with Ethan Bear since they acquired him. Yeah, well, and, and it comes down, I think, to the player's comfort level, right? And and where you can get the deal to prior to arbitration, right? In a world where you're looking at three times three five, I probably think the team should just do a one year deal. To be totally honest with you, um, I just don't see the upside of a three year arrangement. You know, it's not like it's not like, and again, this is the problem you bump into when you make these age gap trades. Like Ethan Bear for a fifth sounds great. Right. Sounds great. It's a win. But the problem is, is that these players get paid really fast. They level up really fast. They get expensive really fast and they don't tend to have, you know, the same level of team control that that a draft pick you, mm-hmm. you select who hits does where you can really manage their cost and, and mind surplus value out of them. Uh, higher floor, lower upside. Right. That's what the Ethan Bear trade achieved. I, look, I don't hate gambling on him to become a, a second pair caliber defenseman I really do like the player especially his retrieval work I just don't think it's a slam dunk and I don't think three times three five like to me that's like a fair deal 
Not a surplus value yeah, deal? Yeah, it's not like the new deal that's going to crush your team no. or crush your salary cap situation. No, it's just but, that the Canucks... But at some point, you can't keep doing fair deals. Well, like, that's the thing. Th- they this... need to be looking for big wins. What's, wins, killing, what's right? killing the Canucks is, you know, for the most part, obviously the overpaid guys who are truly depth-level contributors at best, mm-hmm. right? That's what's killing the Canucks. But going forward here, like, if you pay Heronic fair market value and... Pedersen fair market value having already paid JT Miller fair market value. You know, like that's a world where you're spending what 25 plus million on Miller, Pedersen, Heronic. Good yep. luck winning with that. Good and luck. This, te- this text comes in. Uh, how is Bear worth 3 million more than, for example, Willannon, Juleson, Brisebois, etc.? Uh, 2 million or let him walk. That's the other part of it for me is like obviously Bear is a far better player than all of those guys. Yes. But you look at what the results that Quinn Hughes has gotten with Luke Shen on a really cheap deal, the results in a very short sample he was getting with Noah Juleson on a really cheap deal. If that's Ethan Bear's likely spot, and it sure looks like it is because now with Philip Ronick in the fold, are you getting, are you going to get, so let's say it's a 3 million gap, right? Between what you're going to be paying Noah Juleson or whoever and Ethan Bear. Are you getting 3 million worth of extra value based on pairing Ethan Bear with Quinn Hughes. And I'm not sure you are. Like, Quinn Hughes, with a replacement-level guy, is going to score – the Canucks are going to score what? Like 60% of the five-on-five goals with him on the ice? You, Maybe you not that so. much, but, like, a really good number. You know yeah. what I mean? Because he's Quinn Hughes. They're going to win how, those minutes. How much higher is it going to go realistically? I think you get into some diminishing returns when you're paying in that, like, mushy middle to – to play a guy with Quinn Hughes. Yeah, I mean, the the role that I like best for Bear, like where I think he provides the most value for this team is potentially as your your Oliver Ekman Larson caddy on a, on a third pair, but man, can you afford to have a That's $10 an expensive dollar third pair? That's an expensive third pair. I mean, some teams maybe can this ain't one of them. I actually don't mind that from a hockey perspective. No, like they've it's got, the right they it's got the best hockey results. Fit. Yeah, it's the best yeah, hockey. Yeah, and fit. if you can find like a a relatively bargain option next to Hronick and next to Hughes. Like I can, I can actually buy into that from a let's make the playoffs, but yeah, the, uh, well, you just, you have to be so careful about managing your contracts and the Canucks have acquired too many, like the problem with acquiring guys in that 24 to 26 year range, which this club has particularly sort of um, prioritized is they either don't hit and you end up with a Stadnika Dermot type and you've given away draft capital to do it, mm-hmm. or they do and they become unwieldy from a cost control perspective right away, which is exactly why this strategy, you know, is a bad one, right? Like it's just bad strategy that's worked out a little bit for them, but is still sort of the reality of the club's like pawn wall structure being um, uh, effectively compromised is even showing through in the wins. Like even the wins are sort of halved in their impact because of how uh, far it sets you back. Uh, positionally speaking. Keep your thoughts coming in. Lots of good ones on Ethan Bear. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Up next, we'll take a look at some uh, NHL draft prospects and Get our pal Jason Bukala to weigh in on what Connor Bedard is doing in the WHL playoffs. How do scouts weigh playoff performances out of prospects? We'll talk about that again. Uh, Sportsnet's Jason Bukala, also a former NHL scout. He joins the show next. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Jason Bukla uh, is going to join us momentarily. Uh, this text came in on our, uh, our conversation about Ethan Bear. Bear on a three-year deal is fine as long as he does not have trade protection. A defenseman is a great asset to have. If you have control. So it, the, the problem, though, that you bump into is if you give them trade protection, you can get a lower cap hit. Right. If you insist on not getting trade protection and he'd only be eligible for it in the final two years of a, of a potential three-year extension, then you're paying full value. Like this, so, so it's a tough one to balance. Right. Yeah, it is. I, I do think the point about at least defensemen, like I don't think you're going to run into a Connor Garland situation where when that deal is signed, everyone says, oh, that's fair. That's a good deal. Or like a, it's a fine deal. And then all of a sudden there's no market whatsoever. Right. I uh, mean, they traded Riley Stillman for a third year. Yeah, I think I think you're right. But you can't ignore how toxic term is on the trade market at the moment. Right. Like that. That's the thing to be aware of. Yeah. Uh, now joining us, as mentioned, he uh, writes for Sportsnet. You see him on Sportsnet TV as well. Longtime former NHL scout uh, and one of our favorites here on the program. He is Jason Bukala. Jason, thank you as always. How are you? Doing fantastic, fellas. Thanks for having me. I'm stealing a line already as I'm listening to you guys talk here. Term is toxic. There you go. <laughs> was, that you? was that you, Dancer? Who yeah, was that? Yeah, that was me. That's. Uh, I mean, it's true. You can't move it. I'm, I'm stealing that. It is it's true. Like <laughs> yeah. Too much, too much term is toxic. Well, you can move it. It just costs you. Uh, it's just tough. High end draft picks. Yeah. Uh, for other people to eat your money. So uh, speaking of high end draft picks, uh, it shouldn't be a surprise, but Connor Bedard just continuing his ridiculous season, like highlight real goal after highlight real goal in the WHL playoffs. What's just the reaction? Like, I see the reaction from all of us who just, you know, are just observers, fans, commentators, and we're all wowed by it. What's the reaction within the scouting community to what this guy is doing at, on this stage right now? You know, it's interesting because um, you you wait for – you think that you might have seen it all, and then the last box to tick off is, okay, he's got to play some WHL playoff games. Um, a lot of his success has come in those uh, one-and-done type scenarios, you know, at World Juniors or U18s. And then you're going to hope in a seven-game series that uh, the opponent might be able to uh, put up the type of resistance that he'll meet at the NHL level, like tighter checking, you know, maybe even uh, let's go old school with a little Essateekin and shadowing him in the playoffs or something like that. But um, he just he just doesn't stop. I mean, it's incredible. He just uh, – I was doing some other work today, but I believe he's at 13 points already in this series or something yeah. crazy like that. It's not like, bad. It's okay. It's not <laughs> bad. It's above average. It's above average. So nothing, uh, nothing, uh, you know, guys, you start to run out of superlatives. Like he just, uh, he's, he's such a fun, fun player to watch. Uh, we're lucky uh, that we got an outstanding draft class. It's a lot of fun going to games to watch this entire class though. I don't want to discount everybody else. It's uh uh, fans uh, around the world for this draft class watching them come through. And then hopefully in the future, the majority of them being NHL players, um, it's, it's a, it's a good time to be a scout. Yeah. And for, I mean, for Bedard, look, it's basically just gravy for him, right? We all, we've all known for a long time that he's going to be the first overall pick, but for other guys, it's a really big opportunity to be on a, you know, a pressure stage and kind of show scouts what they can do. 
How did you, when you were scouting, kind of weigh playoff performance when you were evaluating and ranking prospects? And is there a danger in maybe weighting it a little too much, what they do in a relatively small sample in the postseason? Uh, I don't think there's any danger in it, to be honest with you. I think that if anything, um, you can learn a lot on two sides of the ledger about a player. If you're a, a high-end offensive talent and you get into a tight checking series, and you can start to do other things very well off the puck. You know, you track back 200 feet, you win key face-offs in, you know, all three zones, giving your team a chance to start with the puck. Um, off icings, you know, you win draws instead of keeping your group out there too long. Like, all those little tangible things in playoffs that really matter. So if, if you can start to show me that you uh, under duress, under unknown circumstances, not normal circumstances, that you can do those other things, that's a bonus. If you're a grinder, like a grunt who's been playing in the three hole or the four hole all year and you catch lightning in a bottle and you start to show me that, oh my goodness, like uh, off the rush, you can get in the edge, take it to the cage or, or rip pucks from the perimeter and, you know, that extra underlying element, I think that proves valuable, valuable as well. So um, it's, uh, it's a completely different animal, guys. Uh, I think we would all agree that when we get, you know, even in the NHL, like, you know, we see guys who, um, you know, even the best of the best, there was a time at the, uh, more towards the end of his career. So I don't want to, I'm just using it as an example, like Yammer Jagger was still putting up well over point a game in regular season and then come playoffs towards the end of his career, he couldn't score a lick. And um, it's a completely different season and it's nice to see guys do different things. Jason, for a player like Connor, right? Where there was at least a chance coming into this season. He obviously had the inside track, but where people would have been open to being convinced that it was a, you know, a, a Connor or Adam situation based on Fantilli's raw tools. What, what's incredible is Fantilli has sort of exceeded all reasonable expectations in Div 1 for the Michigan Wolverines. He'll compete for the national championship this weekend, probably be the best player in the Frozen Four. And yet it feels like, if anything, Bedard's lead at the apex of this sort of draft order has, has been extended. How much does it matter that in the playoffs at the World Juniors, when the pressure has amped up, he's been the guy that stands out? How much does that matter to you? Um, well, one thing I'm going to say is that I actually think that the gap is – like the runway was – it was like starting a hundred meter dash from the start line compared to Bedard at the end of the, 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 the race already. Right. So, okay. I mean, the, the, the opportunity to close that gap's margin, well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Fantilli for me has closed the gap. Um, and I'm going to say two things uh, at world juniors. What Bedard did was historical. It was, you know, borderline ridiculous, right? Like it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. It was like a, it was like a video game in, in, you know, right before your eyes. Um, that was outstanding, and we've seen him elevate across the board on every level. Let's not discount what Fantilli did, though. Um, I think, you know, high-end players who are going to be high-end drafts, or if they're just even previously drafted guys who go play in the World Juniors, for example, and they play out of position, when you're an uber-talented player, some of those guys, they mope about that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, they say the right things. I'm, I'm really happy to put the Team Canada jersey on. and They say all the right things, but their play doesn't really – um, mirror what they're saying off the ice. Fantilli did the opposite. Played out of position, up and down the lineup, bit part on the power play, uh, physical, F1 physical, create turnovers, block shots in the penalty. So he did all that. And then what did he do? 
he took that confidence and he went to an entire different level at Michigan down the stretch. I mean, he led NCAA in scoring and he took all that time off to be at the world juniors. Now, granted, there's a, there's a time off at NCAA hockey. I get it. But you know, this kid, I'm super impressed with him. Great character. Um, you know, whoever gets number two in this draft, um, I know it's not the dart, but I'm not exactly you know crying a river for them either. They're going to get a great player. Jason, I'm I'm I've been doing my uh, comparables exercise, which is um, you know my version of of some work you'd be familiar with, the cohort models and 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 so on and so forth, where you know um, just comparing guys based on scoring rates and age and trying to come up with comps for Vancouver Canucks prospects. And you know one thing that I sort of stumbled upon as I did this work is for the most part players who produce the way that Jonathan LeCaramacki has in the Allsvenskan as an 18 year old they don't tend to make it if they're scoring wingers I know you were concerned about what you saw in the world juniors but um, how much has his stock fallen over the course of this season in your mind uh, you know considerably obviously like I had him at number 10 on my year-end list last year so I'm as guilty as everybody else as uh, especially coming out of U18s when I saw him scoring you know at will and, and doing playing to an identity um, but his game as the game has got harder and we've discussed this before you know and this is before his injury guys so I'm not you know he needs a reset um, obviously but uh, as the games have gotten harder and there's been less um, less space as more attention has gotten on Jonathan uh, has been thrust upon Jonathan, his game fell off. So um, his battle instincts were borderline non-existent, um, especially at world juniors. I was really, really disappointed at world juniors. Like I, I ran out of uh, times where um, even when he was on the power play, you know, when a puck uh, is directed on goal and it just spills to the corner and, you know, the net front guy jumps down to try and extend the play and mm-hmm. he's working the half wall like his off leg. He's supposed to go down and, and assist the guy. He would literally stand three, four feet away from him and, and it would be like a one-on-one battle. So it becomes a 50-50 puck uh, for his line mate. And, and, you know, half the time the puck was getting iced down, you know, and they had to break it out all over again just because he wasn't engaging. And um, I'm really concerned. I don't, I don't know why um, it's that poor or it was that poor, but um, he's shown me in the past that he's a much better player than he was this year. He fell off a cliff this year. Let's hope he recovers from injury and has a significant reset. I feel like there's a culture change going on in Canuck uh, land right now, and I'm hoping that the trickle-down effect uh, lands uh, with his off-season trainer, and maybe he comes over sooner than later in the summertime to get, uh, to get reset over here. Uh, talking to Jason Bukla, former NHL scout, now a Sportsnet contributor here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Uh, one of the things we've seen recently with the Canucks, Jason, is uh, they've started to integrate a lot of guys who were either playing in college this year in Aiden McDonough or NCAA free agents that they signed uh, in Akito Hirose into the lineup. As a talent evaluator, how much can you learn from the kind of first op- NHL opportunities for these guys making the jump from college? Oh, I, I honestly think they need a full training camp. So they need a, they need, especially with what's going on out there. Um, they need a full development camp after the draft, followed by a full rookie camp 
followed by a full training camp, and then let's uh, let's see where they are physically, mentally, and and really competing for jobs. Let's be honest; these guys right now, when they come out, like from in McDonough's case, um, you know, it's nice to see him chip that goal in there. And I would say it's always fun, right, to see kids score the first goal. We all love it. Um, but if, if the training camp were to break today, um, would he be on the roster? And and you know, that's 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 a maybe for me, right? So. Um, he needs to prove it over the course of um, a long training camp that he's uh, that he's able to do it next year. These guys get games to burn years off their contract at this time of year. When a team's out of playoffs, they give them the opportunity to do it. Uh, I'm not going to say it's for free because a seventh-round pick like him has earned this opportunity and good on him, but uh, the hard work is still on the horizon. Jason, do you how familiar are you with Cole McWard? Because I know you were, um, I know you were, I know you liked both Max Sasson and Akito Hirose, who were elite uh-huh. NCAA players. But this is sort of a different level of contributor at the D1 level. He's also a couple years younger, so there's a little bit more um, development runway here. Uh, what can you tell us about what the Canucks have in Cole McWard slated to make his NHL debut tonight? So I saw Ohio State play quite a bit. Um, I had a lot of time for their goaltender, Dovish, who Montreal signed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, you know, in McWard, you know, you're getting that coveted right shot. B. He played all situations at Ohio State. I mean, towards the end of the season, um, he was logging ridiculous amount of ice time against top six opponents. I'm talking like 26, 27 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. Um, I call him an average distributor on the power play. There's not a lot of deception for me. Uh, and what I mean by that is movement deception. So if he hauls the puck um, three quarters of the way up on the flank on him, on his weak side, if he goes to walk the blue line, there's not a lot of um, spatial deception there. He's got to just move the puck really quickly and, and hopefully take the tape. Um, so I call that average for him in that situation. He does have a good shot, guys. He can beat goaltenders from distance. He's got a really quick release. So um, it's not a slap shot. It's not a snap shot. It's, it's one of those like halfway up the knee, but it gets to the net really quick, you know? Um, so he's shown that he can do some things from range, uh, score back door, uh, on the power play. Um, he's defending down the stretch. Um, I saw him play Michigan. Um, and I'm sure he'd like to have that game back. I'm sure they all would. He was dash five in that game. Um, his defending is, uh, average plus for the college level. So, uh, the growth for the pro level is going to be uh, on the come see. It's going to be uh, it's, it's going to be a significant challenge early on. But um, hey, listen, I like what the Canucks are doing right now. They're trying to stock uh, some assets uh, through this route that uh, all teams have, and um, and you know the more prospects they can get in their cover to compete for jobs, the better. Um, I if I had to forecast McWard. Um, like he wasn't an NHL guy for me. I'm not, I, and no, not, no disrespect against the kid. Uh, he just wasn't an NHL signing for me. So I think that he's an AHL recall on projection, um, but he could prove me wrong. Uh, I wanted to ask about some of the other uh, prospects in this year's draft, Jason. And we got a listener texting in. Uh, please ask about defensemen in the draft where the Canucks will pick, which is looking to be likely in the kind of 8 to 11 or 12 range. And I know on your latest uh, prospect rankings last week up at sportsnet.ca, you had David Reinbacher right in that range Ooh. at number 11, and you listed him as trending up as well. What is it about him that has him trending up draft boards and how high could he go in your opinion when the draft does roll around? 
He's right in their wheelhouse. Absolutely right in their wheelhouse. And I would love for the Canucks to consider this kid. Um, so played pro games already in the top level over in Swiss, as we all know. Um, you know, let's not worry about the world juniors because, you know, uh, Austria was, uh, you know, it, it was what it was. I mean, that's an impossible ask. But here we got big right shot defenseman, good skater, guys. He can get up ice with and without the puck. Um, he, he On the bigger ice, he's been active at times in the offensive zone. And I'm talking about, like, finding middle scenes off the puck so he becomes a, a, an option offensively. But he can also beat the goaltender from distance. I like his brain. He's got some bump to his body or to his game. Like he's not, he doesn't back down. He's physical. He'll gap up. He won't run a guy over like a Shen, but he'll gap up to take away space. He's got the long reach. Um, so high end IQ can play in all situations, big body, right shot, better than secondary scoring. I believe in time, but let's just say secondary at worst. I would, I think he's right in their wheelhouse and it would be a great ad. Uh, I also, you know, just to kind of bring it back uh, full full circle to our conversation about the WHL playoffs and what scouts can learn in in those in that situation. Uh, Zach Benson, um, wh- how much can he uh, prove and and you know kind of show his worth and where he belongs on draft boards in the playoffs? Well, I think that um, Zach Benson's an interesting. There's a couple of interesting guys that are going to go high, and Benson's one, Crystal's the other one. Um, and I think that the community um, likes the players for different reasons. I love Zach Benson. So um, the thing with Zach Benson is that there's smaller, crafty players. He's not a big guy, right? Uh, there's smaller, crafty players that are darting on straight lines. The thing with Benson is that he can move east-west and – um, still be moving fast enough that his line mates don't have to slow down their process and transition, but he can also make it a, an opponent look absolutely ridiculous moving east-west. Like his small area escapes, and the way he can beat a guy off the rush one-on-one is elite. He's also He also makes plays. There's not a lot of prospects who can make clean plays on their forehand and their backhand, and I mean hit a guy in motion off your backhand, you know, like through a seam and stuff. Um, he's got elite puck skill, fantastic offensive upside, um, competitive. I, I really like Benson. I've got him, uh, you know, right in that top six area. Um, it's going to be interesting where everything comes together. But, uh, um, hey, it, I mean, obviously, going by best player, just circling back to the Rhinebacker discussion, if Benson falls and Rhinebacker's still there and Benson's still there, you drop Benson. It's right. best player available, guys. It's not, let's not overthink this. It's best player available. Uh, well said, Jason. Always, Music to my ears. <laughs> always appreciate the time. I'm sure we'll check in uh, a couple more times for sure before the draft. Uh, awesome. Great. Have a great week and happy Easter to you guys. Out Thank there. you. Yeah, you thanks well, to you as well, Jason. That is Jason Buchel, a Sportsnet contributor and a longtime NHL scout, uh, always bringing fantastic insight and analysis to our show. Uh, while we're talking WHL prospects, I did want to get this text in. Sam texted in, how about a Gavin McKenna update? Uh, and I can tell you that Gavin McKenna won goal in four playoff games. But, hey, he's playing playoff games as a, as a 15-year-old <laughs> in the dub. And he finished the season with 18 points in 16 games in the regular season in the dub. And then I also love this because uh, Sam also said, uh, remember this name, 2009-born Eli McKamey from the Seanigan U15 team. So there you go. Sam is giving me my next uh, Gavin McKenna. He's going to have to do it at the dub level. That's all I'm saying. That's what initially got me interested 
uh, in uh, in Gavin McKenna. So we'll see. But I'm always on the lookout for the next ridiculously far ahead prospect to start paying attention to. For the next to. Gavin McKenna. For the next Gavin McKenna. <laughs> well, he's my 2006 guy. He's a 2000 or sorry, 2006 2026 draft. Yep. I need the I need it eventually. Like, do you have a do you have a 2025 guy? It's James Hoggins, right? That's our guy for well, 2025. Is he from BC? No, no, but it's Misa in 2025, is it not? No, Michael dude, Misa. It's gonna be Haggins. <laughs> okay, I assumed it was Misa. I mean, he's the exceptional status OHL guy, yeah. but J- James Haggins is the uh, uh, the American born. All right. People are going to be calling him the next Jack Hughes, stuff like that. Well, I'll have to look into that. But anyways, yeah. at some point here, like by next year, by the next NHL season, I'm going to need my 2027 guy. I'm going to need to like, you That's know, true. go four years well, in the future. Is, this is why you scout. This is why I scout. Or this yeah. is why I get people to, uh, tell to text us. in about yeah. 14-year-old hockey players that I should be aware well, of. Well, you know what? We should ask Books the next time he's on. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah. Who's, who's shaping up well in the 2027 draft yeah. cycle? <laughs> just truly <laughs> true sicko stuff uh looking that far ahead into the uh into the nhl draft uh 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line and the uh the, the reaction to the ethan bear uh conversation continues to roll in this one three million per bear for three million per for bear no thanks he couldn't even crack the hurricanes hurricanes lineup and we're gonna give him three million per we can't keep giving out deals like this. We've also had some other people saying, hey, why not? Why wouldn't you just let Ethan Bear walk and try to re-sign Luke Shen? And I think part of the reason of that is Luke Shen's going to be relatively expensive in his own right. right? Like, you're not getting Luke Shen back at, 800K. at, at, at under a million dollars. If that was the choice, I'd say, sure. Yeah, bring Luke Shen back and put him with Quinn Hughes and save the, you know, two and a half to three million dollars on Ethan Bear. But you'd probably only be saving like, I don't know, a million dollars or something like that. And at at that price differential, uh, I would rather have Ethan bear, but you know, just to the point of like the team can't keep giving out deals like this. It is tough because it's not, it's not about Ethan bear not being worth quote unquote that money or not being able to provide like production relative to that salary. It's just, as you said, you you can only give out so many fair market value deals. And eventually that's going to put you in a real bind as much as overpaying a few guys is uh, even fair market value adds up in a hurry. And you got to pick your spots, I think. And I'm not sure that even bear has shown the upside uh, necessary to, to make it worth it for the Canucks. Keep your thoughts coming in about Ethan bear, about anything else. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Canucks identity. Some might say lack thereof. What kind of identity can they realistically build? What should they be looking to build going in to next season. Uh, we'll also do 10 minutes of positivity, and we do still have to hear from Rick Tockett at some point. So we got lots coming up on the show. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 
five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So there's been a lot of talk recently around the Canucks, and a lot of it driven by uh, Rick Tockett and what he's had to say about the team. There's been a lot of talk just about the concept of toughness. And, like, toughness in a very holistic sense. You know what I mean? Like, yes, guys who can forecheck, guys who can win puck battles, guys who are big and strong, who can kill penalties, all that, but also mental toughness. And the one, you know, the stuff about the size and the strength of the team, like, there's no getting around it. That's a It's a major lack on the Canucks roster. They have a, a lack of physical toughness. It is an obvious need. I am not typically like an old school cranky hockey guy who's always like pounding the table demanding teams be tougher and be bigger. The Canucks need to be tougher and bigger. There's no doubt about that. But I also look at this team. See, I like so I'm I'm of two minds here cuz one thing I thought this a lot while watching the Flames and the Kings play the Canucks. Yeah. And it wasn't these teams are bigger than Vancouver although they are. It was where is Vancouver's version of like an absolute competitive dog, and I mean that in in a with praise, yeah. like somebody a, who has that dog in them, <laughs> like a Mangiapane or a or a Lazat, right? Like I was like, man, I haven't got to watch a Canucks player compete this hard all year, and these guys do it every game. I feel like that the size thing matters. Like the Canucks are the lightest team in the league, mm-hmm. right? So I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. So much as I think it's worth contextualizing that there's different ways to be tough. A hundred percent. You know, and you don't need you hundred percent. This team doesn't just need to be bigger; they need to play with higher motor as a group. Well, and I think yeah, I, I like I agree. I think we need to rethink, especially in the short term, what kind of remaking this team's identity into a tough team is going to look like. And I would like just look at their key players as identified, just kind of by common sense, but also by management recently, right? It's Pedersen, it's Hughes, Miller, Kuzmenko, Philip Ronick, Ilya Mikheyev, who was included in that letter, Ethan Bear. You look at that group, you have a lot of skill in that group. Some speed, right? Mikheyev, you know, Miller's a good skater, Hughes is a good skater for a defenseman. Not a lot of toughness in that mm. group. Now, those players aren't soft. I want to be very, very clear. I'm not calling any of those players soft, but it's just like physical strength is not their calling card. There's not a single one where it's like, that's how they win, by being physically strong. They're all good players. They can all help you win. They just do it in other ways. And I think when you're kind of starting from that starting point, right, where all of your best players kind of fit that profile of more being about skill and speed or a combination of both, I do wonder if you just kind of lean into the strengths of your best players when you're trying to shape an identity. I mean, even look at the blue line. Like, look at the likely three of your likely top four for next year. Hughes, Bear, Bronick. That is not a big, strong blue line no. compared to other teams around the NHL. It's just not. If you're if you're rolling those guys out as three of your top four, you kind of just have to embrace that fact and try to build an identity around that. Build one that's you know rests on playing fast, right? Being able to move the puck for the first time in a long time. If you can add some other guys... Uh, to that back end that can do it, that can help you do that. Because I just think in the short term, while you're strapped for cash, like transforming this, going out and prioritizing, man, we need to get like 
some more guys like Dakota Joshua, but even better, right? Who are even more effective at actually being big and physical and tough. Like that's, that's a long-term goal. I get it. I'm sure that's what Rick Tockett wants from this team in the long term is to make them that kind of rough and tumble group. But I think in the short term, as you were saying, you kind of have to focus on the other ways of being tough. You know what I mean? Like you can be tough. You can be a smaller skilled team that still works really hard. For sure. That still competes. That's still mentally tough. That's still a pain to play against. We'll play Rick Talkin in a little bit here, but one of the things he said about Anthony Beauvillier, who, again, is kind of a complimentary player, fits this mold, is he needs to learn to be a pest alongside Elias Patterson or Andre Kuzmenko. Mm. And I think that's a great word. That's like that's such a great way to kind of sum up what I'm getting at here. You're not you're probably not gonna be able to find, you know, three or four players who bring this like hard edge, physicalness, uh, physicality, and skill this offseason. But can you find some pests? Can you find some guys who are just annoying as heck to play against, no matter what size they are, no matter how strong they actually are? Like in the short term, if I'm building an identity, it's let's get let's lean into the speed and skill and let's get some guys who are pests regardless of their size. Right. right? We'll leave the rough and tumble stuff. We'll try to build that. But that's a long term goal for next year. We're going to be fast. We're going to be skilled and we're going to hopefully be annoying to play against despite those two things. That That's what I'm looking for from the Canucks for next season. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I agree with you. I, I want to see the motor for sure. Yeah. And I just I just want to see good players. Like I, I, Fundamentally, I don't know that this team has enough talent. And, and one thing that I, I has been, you know, just a, like a bug in my ear throughout the last couple seasons analyzing this team has been people talking about, well, you know, Travis Green's system or identity or toughness or size. And it's like, how about lack of talent? You know, it, it it's so easy to confuse poor coaching for poor roster construction. And for me, this team's issue has tended to be the the roster construction issue, a talent issue, as opposed to a tactics issue or a motivation issue or a buy-in issue. Um not that those things haven't been present too, just that like get get good and then we can talk, you mm. know? <laughs> um so I do think though that if you're looking at filling out a top four around Heronic Bear Hughes, I do think you you do need like the penalty killing guy, the physical player to complement that group. My I do think that's just I like, do think that's one of the lightest top four it groups is. in the There's league. no doubt about it. It is. But I don't know, like to me that's almost in a, that's built in at this point. And yeah. I, I get I worry that you back yourself into a situation where you're either you end up prioritizing, as you said, like the penalty killing, the toughness, and then you get a guy who doesn't really have the skill to play in your top four. Or if you're looking to check all of those boxes, you know, you're paying through the nose to fill that spot. I'm not sure they're going to have the cap space available for it. Now, I think I agree with what you're saying, which is that you can't be obsessed with identity right now when you still need to add that talent to mm-hmm. the roster. But I guess my point is like, okay, what do you have on hand? Like, and, and are you real when you have this group of key players, again, that management has identified as your key players? Are you going to be able to build a team identity that doesn't really match any of their strengths? You know what I mean? Like at a certain point, you're just kind of locked into this is how our team is going to play because 
these are how our best players play. These are their strengths. Now, like you got you got to reflect your best players at a certain point. I don't want to get too hockey theory here, but Tarasov, right, would tell you that possession hockey, skill hockey, should negate physical hockey, so long as it's played with with an appropriate level of toughness. So mm-hmm. long as the toughness is directed toward maintaining possession and making skill plays, um, skill should beat rugged play, right? This was one of the precepts under which the 1972 Soviet team were built. And for a while there, anyway, I think there was uh, certainly concern in Canada <laughs> back four you years don't say. ago. Yeah, that, that they had it right. Um, those ideas have obviously proven pretty influential over time, although, you know, uh, the, the physical stuff, the, the ability to beat your opponents in a back alley, I still think rules in, in a lot of ways in, in terms of how this game is thought about how teams are built so you know I do I do think the I do think the overall way that this team can play and and I think Pedersen's a really good example right where yeah Pedersen is not soft at all no he has guts yeah he'll go to hard areas of the he'll he'll battle he'll compete he'll throw reverse hits it's just if you were to list all of the attributes that makes him great like physicality isn't going to be one of them. No. You know what I mean? Or you get to that at the very, after you rattle off a whole lot of other things and like, oh, and by the way, he has guts. You know yeah. what I mean? It's kind of an addendum at the end. It's not central to uh, central to the way he plays, to the way he gets things done no. out there, right? Um, some good texts coming in here. Uh, Dan in Fort St. John texts in, I'm hoping that Hoaglander turns out to be that competitor the yes. team needs. And well, Eric in Port Moody yeah. echoes this as well. Hoaglander fits that pesky high motor profile I think, and I again when I when I'm talking about building this identity for next season. So we saw Dakota Joshua up with uh, Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Talkit kind of said, "Yeah, it didn't really work out. Didn't necessarily see the chemistry." Putting Beauvillier there now and saying, "Hey, can you go be a pest with those guys?" Like that's kind of what I mean. Rather than saying, "Okay, how can we find better Dakota Joshua, who's big and a forechecker and all that, to pair with Pedersen?" Like Hoaglander. I think has the potential to be that competitive pest. And yeah, he's small. And so therefore you're not going to have a heavy first line just in terms of like raw weight and raw size. But can you have that competitive, annoying to play against first line with a guy like Niels Hoaglander in that spot? Like, I think that's a great, uh, great thought from both Eric and Dan in our text. Maybe, except I don't know that he's going to be a first liner for reasons that have more to do with his, you know, skill than anything else right and so I I do think the key is going to be what you can get from a work rate perspective from the guys who fall outside the core right like from not Heronic Pedersen Hughes but from that next tier up and and that's why the Beauvillier conversation is so interesting right because that's the sort of player um, the complimentary piece who if he's going to play and and sort of be the guy you count to be productive and, and make hay with Pedersen and Kuzmenko like yeah there's got to be some sandpaper there there's got to be you know more than bottom line there's got to be an element to which he's bringing something where he's difficult to play against yeah because we know frankly that most players are going to succeed on Pedersen's wing at the moment, yeah. right? Like, you don't have to be a star player to get that spot. And, in fact, the Canucks already have the guy that they're counting on to finish for that line 
in, in Kuzmenko. So, yeah, what you're looking for is the Kunitz for that line. What you're looking for is the Burroughs. What you're looking for is the guy who can make that line harder to play against. Um, they've clearly auditioned Dakota Joshua there. Now Rick Tockett's got this commentary about Beauvillier um, becoming a pest, and I think that gives you a really clear picture about what this group feels like they need from the complementary pieces on this team. It's really hard to identify those guys. I, I mean, Michael Bunting's going to be what a twenty million dollar player minimum. <laughs> yeah, this this off season, right? We saw how much Zach Hyman got paid. Um, you know, the, those those are very very hard roles to fill, and I don't envy the Canucks having to effectively build in a layer of team toughness from beneath, particularly as their best players don't really bring it themselves. Yeah. That's a really challenging thing to do. Uh, 650-650, you can join the conversation here. This one, unsigned, comes in. I feel like Garland was a pest when he arrived to the Canucks. Where did that go? I don't know if it's disappeared completely from his game, but I think it's fair to say that we have not seen it to the same degree we saw it last season in his first year with the Canucks and that it there and that we did see it uh, in Arizona. But that's one of the reasons that I'm like much less desperate to move Connor Garland than I think maybe the team itself is. And, and that a lot of fans and observers are like Connor Garland. There's been a lot of frustrating performances from the Canucks this season and early in the season you would have put Connor Garland in that category but like I still see a guy out there who's out there working guy has as many five on five points as JT Miller and I and again like (laughs) Like, the effort to me especially over the last couple months has not been an issue with Connor Garland so I do think as you're looking for guys like and again we all know he's not the biggest guy out there he's not going to do it in traditional ways but he has the ability to lift a stick and pick a pocket on the forecheck, right? He has the ability to play low, to play down low, to take the puck to the net. Like, if you're just trying to fill out, okay, not ideal, toughness, forechecking, hard-to-play-against options, but the options you have on hand, he's somebody who can play that role, to me, that can still do that. I don't know if it's on the first line. Maybe it's not even on the second line. But if you have Connor Garland, at least he has that profile uh, in his past right, where he can be that kind of pest character. Uh, 650-650, again, is the Dunbar-Lumber text uh, text, uh, line. And this one says, Garland is a pest, but he's not tough to play a game against. That's fair. I mean, except to the extent that, like, it's annoying to play against a pest, right? It's kind of getting into, uh, kind of getting into, like, the semantic definitions of pest versus being hard to play against. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy and Nanaimo texts in, I disagree with your take about Pedersen. I would actually put PD's motor and competitiveness at the top of his attributes list. Uh, the back check in his first game played is still front of mind when I think uh, about what makes so him great. I think, I think, um, I think there's a difference for me. Like I'm not criticizing Pedersen's motor. I think he's got a, um, I think he's got a, how did I put it earlier? I think he's got guts. the, I think he's got guts. But I think there's a difference between that and a guy who absolutely has to go full tilt all the time to be effective at mm. this level. Pedersen is thoughtful in terms of how he plays the game, right? Pedersen's anticipation and his ability to like observe, learn, probe for weakness, and then strike. Like, put it this way. A Land predator like a, um, like a you know lioness has to work pretty hard for their prey. They have to catch antelope, yeah. right? A snake lies in wait 
coils, picks their moment, and then goes all out for a half second. Quick strike. Yep. Pedersen plays the game and attacks in a way that doesn't rely on and, in fact, is inhibited by him playing with that, like, anger fuel, full tilt engine. So it's not that he doesn't work. It's not criticism. It's that the way that he succeeds is not physically assertive. It's not high motor. It's it's thoughtful, robotic, mm-hmm. uh, AI of uh, deep blue. Uh, it's deep blue versus um, you know someone really sweating their next move, and that's the key distinction there. And why I wouldn't sort Pedersen in the way that I would a Lazat, a Manjapani type. And the other thing is, you know, when I was saying like Pedersen's physical strength and all of that and the way he like being tough to play against would be at the bottom of his list of positive attributes that's because his list of positive attributes is really long and really impressive right you know what i mean like we're not saying it's not important or it's not good in his game it's just that like have you seen the way he thinks the game and reads the game his hockey sense his puck skills his shooting his passing all of that is just so incredibly exceptional that's what you're going to talk about first inherently when you're uh when you're talking about uh elias petterson uh, this one says, where do you see Pod Colson slotting in? I uh, mean, hopefully Pod Colson as like, like the archetype of what we're well, talking about. Exactly. Here a bit. This is this is something we've talked about a lot, right? Like it would be a big deal for the Canucks if Pod Colson could get to that level. The problem is, is, you know, I, like I don't think it's been a very good season for him. And I mean, I think he had moments last year, but I don't think he's built on them. Right? Like, there was, he got sent down to Abbotsford. I don't think he did much in the early part of the year. He came back and he had like five or six really strong games. Really good. And then he fell back off. So, you know, I can't, I like, I don't even think, here's what I'd like to see the club do with Pod Colson. I'd like them to build a fourth line around him. I've been talking about this for two years now. I'd like to see them build a fourth line around Vasily Pod Colson that has ideally like a veteran like center or winger, but like a, a guy who's played five, 600 yeah. games in the NHL and is pretty good. The The analogy for me here is Derek Dorsett with Bo Horvat, right? In, in Bo Horvat's first year, like, you know, a guy who's been in the playoffs, played like systems hockey for an elite coach, like really knows what it takes. And then I'd like to see that line play 10 minutes a game, no matter what. Whether they're on or off, I don't want. I don't want to see seven minute games. I don't want to see. I want to see ten minute games. Yeah. And and I'd love to see what he looks like after fifty games like that because I think what you're hoping for is decent defensive results, okay offensive results, and and production like second meaningful secondary production. Um, what's frustrating to me about how Pod Colson's been developed, not just this year, but ac- but across multiple years now, is. In fits and starts, it's been like, you're with Pedersen now. Or like, he's playing well. He's on our, on our top six. He's JT Miller's playing the center. Playing with JT Miller, yeah. And then, and then he has a lull and he's yanked. He's in the press box. He's moved down the lineup. Like, predictability. For an organization that talks so much about player development, like, this is a guy who could be your most unique piece. Some of his peers in that 2019 draft class, Cole Caulfield, Matt Boldy, are like stars carrying playoff teams. And, and the Canucks just haven't, it feels to me, like uh, carved out a predictable, routine, bottom six spot for him to really learn the game, build some confidence, um, you know, over over a long period of time. 
it's been frustrating to watch, and I think it's incumbent on the organization that they really thoughtfully design a way for him to cement himself um, as a player in this lineup, particularly because if it doesn't work out next year, you're you're going to start to wonder what what he is. Mm-hmm. It was decision time. It's the last year of his ELC next year. Yeah, like you you're well, but you can easily just oh, kick it down sure, the road with like, a one year deal. But y- you would like to know. Are we even in a position to make a long-term bet on this guy? Like you want right. it, you would love to know that by the end of oh, next for year, sure. rather than have that uncertainty uh, of kicking it down. Twelve the road. months from now, twelve months from now, the conversation around Vasily Podkolzin could well be: Is he just a guy? I don't think he is. I think the work rate's too high. I think the physical tools are too unique. But that's where the conversation goes. If he can't cement himself as like a must-dress top nine piece for a team you know, doesn't necessarily or isn't necessarily constructed where A, there's centermen who are going to help him get the most out of himself and B, um, doesn't necessarily have like an easy place for him to slot into the lineup. Like he's going to have to win a spot and then keep playing well to keep a spot. It's um, it's a tough spot for him and for Niels Hoaglander too. Yeah, I was really impressed with Pod Colson to finish last year and I, I kind of was looking at him at that point as, okay, who knows what he's going to do offensively this season, but, like, he's a locked-in NHL contributing player. Like, a guy who's, like, bare minimum, going to be on your third line uh, and going to be able to help you in that role. And, obviously, that did not happen. Wasn't wasn't productive. Uh, goes down to the AHL, comes back up, still not productive. We'll see. He's got an injury right now. We'll see if he's able to get in a game or two before the end of the season. He is going to be a fascinating uh, type of, or he's going to be a fascinating player to watch in training camp, given the potential, as you said, the tools, the work ethic, all of that, but also just the repeated emphasis on all of the things that he should be able to do well from Rick Tockett, right? Like if there's anybody that you would think could really step up and surprise Rick Tockett and show, hey, I had a big summer. I can come. I can be that forechecking guy. I can be the wall guy. I can be the guy who's going to win battles. And you can trust me to play with Elias Pettersson. Like, Pod Colson has that potential. Just from a raw, physical point of view. More mm. than any other player on this team. Like, yeah. he is everything that Talkett is talking but, about. Pod Colson has the potential to do give that. Me, give me a player who can, like, give me... 50 games I don't even want to see Pod Colson put in that heavy press role if you're going to remove him when the line sputters for a yep. game or two you know like stop you gotta be that. locked in you put him in a bottom six role third line fourth line no higher than that and give him 50 games where with extremely predictable deployment you know like what what's what and been, one role and one like well, one job guy you hasn't know what I mean? even guy hasn't even cemented himself let's be real this even this year as like an NHL player no and I thought that's the thing I thought he had done that like I thought he had checked that box Me too. and then it got undone it's like ooh. one and I think part of it was the Bruce Boudreau development uh, environment which you know I don't think is fair I don't think it's on Bruce Boudreau and I want to be careful in saying that but I think that was part of why we saw like an exodus of this team's young players right before the club schedule got difficult in January. So, but even since he's come back, it's not like he's had a high end role or or been you know a mainstay in the lineup. He's been a healthy scratch. He's had his ice time bumped up and down. Like, where where are you going to find a power forward? Where else are you going to find a power forward? You have one. You've used top ten draft pedigree on him. 
And in flashes, he's shown what he can do. And I don't mean those Vitaly Kratsov flashes no. that people are like desperately squinting to see and they're not there. I mean like real flashes of, you know, Timo Meyer like play style and potential. Um you've got this massive like eighteen person development staff. Put a plan in place. Execute on it. For once. Keep your thoughts coming in, 650-650. I will read some of them on the other side. Plus, we will hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, and we've got 10 minutes of positivity to finish the show. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show today on a Canucks game day. They're playing the Chicago Blackhawks tonight at Rogers Arena at 7. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We'll wrap up the show in about 15 minutes with 10 minutes of positivity. But first, let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, who spoke at length before the team plays the Blackhawks tonight. Here's Tockett. He went on the ice today, so he, he's full go today. It's, he's, uh, the medicine worked. He feels good today. Was he just, did it just kind of fatigue? You look at all the minutes he logs, and do you know what contributed to this? Or? No, it's basically a strep throat thing. You know, it's just a viral. Is that, is that viral? I don't know if that's viral or the other one. I'm not sure, but it's, uh, the medicine helped, so he's good to go. Okay. So of the six that were on ice yesterday, will you tell us which D is not going to play then in that group? Well, Cole uh, is going to go in tonight. You know, yep. Yep, yep. Like a free agent defensive. Sorry. Um, you've given some guys some practice time to go in. It's a little different now. Like end of the season with Cole hopping into the lineup. Different expectations maybe because he hasn't had as many practices or what? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, listen. <laughs> these guys are going in the lineup first NHL game. You know, you, you, you got to be careful how you evaluate. Um, but so far, um, the other two guys have done a nice job in the sense that there's stuff there to work with. Um and, uh, you know, just from watching Cole, just one time, I mean, listen, it's, it's impossible. But just his presence, uh, right-handed shot, um, he's got some good hands. I mean, those are good things to, to start with with the defense. Good good feet, and he's, what is he, 6'2", 200-something pounds, which is nice to have some guys have that kind of weight on him. With um, Bavilla, you kind of just mentioned it. It's kind of fun getting these college guys in here. But what are you seeing from guys like getting a chance to teach some of these guys about the NHL or even play on the ice, away from the ice? What are you seeing from your guys kind of moving into that leadership role? with these? Well, guys? like it's a head start. You know, like the other day we were working with uh, Aiden on wall work. You know, with, uh, we were just t- talking about, you know, situational stuff that he's getting a, you know, NHL dose right now. You know, then what, you know, the summer he trains, obviously, he knows what it's going to take to, 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 to do an NHL practice. So I think it's important that these guys have had a taste, and now they got to go hone their skills, and, and now they got to get their body ready for an NHL level. Is it good for kind of your players to get the opportunity to also be teachers? Like, you coaches are getting a lot of time with these new guys, but some of you are yeah, players. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. I mean, like, I always talk to players, like, is, is, is there's nothing better. Yeah, I mean, you know, when your, your career is done, yeah, you're going to have a big fat bank account and all that sort of stuff. But w- when you talk to a young player that you see down the road, hey, man, that guy helped me out yeah. in my career. That's, a, that's big in my books, you know, like, uh, you know, to be able to, you know, I just, from my experience, like I see, if I see a Justin Williams or Simone Gagne, those are the, 
those guys took my jobs and um, I enjoyed the process you know I, I, you know I didn't give it up but they took it from me and and I I just enjoyed being around those guys and helping them out so you know every time I talk to those hey man like you can tell there's a connection so hopefully you know these college free agent guys we have are, are, are veteran guys and even just a guy that's been in the league for five six years kind of help him help him um, fulfill his dream it's kind of it's kind of something that uh, I really believe that every every should do. You're trying to find out so many things about guys, Rick. You've got Beauvillier back with Rick Petey and Kuzi tonight. Yeah. Beauvillier has kind of been a streaky score in his career. Um, do you know? Do you have a real sense of what you have there yet in a guy who's already been around, but maybe you know that first four check guy? I mean, have you got a, a good read on Bo yet? Yeah, I really liked his game the first like two three weeks. The last ten to eight games, I mean, he's dealing with a little bit of an injury. I, I. I you know, and he's probably it might be affecting him in touch. I don't know. Um, haven't really, to be honest, with you, and he, he doesn't like his game. I haven't really liked his game, to be honest. With you. And um, but, like I said, there's things there. He is a, you know, he's got some speed. Um, you know, he, he can score. You know, early on, you saw him. You know, in the slot there, score a couple of big goals for us. So, um, I think it's just for him right now is. Um, Trying to understand who he is. Um, we need that. F- we need him to be on the first on the four check. We need him to be a pest out there. You know, a guy that's always in somebody's face. Obviously, he's not going to run guys. But um, you know, it might, it, it, I'll give. There might be a little bit of an injury that's kind of hampering him a little bit. Nothing serious, but maybe maybe it's in his head. You know, yeah. could be in his head. You gave uh, Joshua a look at that line. Is there a benefit when Bo is playing with Amon and Garland just to get those other aspects of his game going when you're playing on a line like that and you have to be good in transition? Yeah, you're looking for chemistry, right? Yeah. I, 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 I think Amon and, and, and Josh um, have a, a kind of good chemistry. And I, I, you know, I just wanted to see how you do with Petey. Uh, you're looking for chemistry. And, you know, I, I haven't released – I haven't even the Amon line with, with Bo and Garland – I'm not sure that's a good chemistry line. I, I don't see it yet. We 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 need better four checkers, and I got to find some pairs that guys can really work together on four checking. We got we got to get better as a four checking team. There's nothing like a four game winless streak for people to start kicking around culture and throwing yeah. it around like a frisbee. Um, yeah. When you get to camp next year, I mean, you you want to establish a certain culture, but are your camps? A lot of teams are into team building. They do certain things, you know. They they go for hikes or whatever. Yeah. Did you have what? What were your camps like? Did you have those aspects? Yeah, camps absolutely. Like? Yes. How you, vital are they? Uh, they're vital, um, and it, it's just not a one-time deal. They yeah. they should be throughout the year. Right. You know, these team bonding or team exercises. Um, but camp uh, to me is you know we have a long way to go before camp, but um, it, it's it's right away. It's the first practice. Like you know, like it's it's working on your special teams the first second day. It's not like let's wait three weeks down the road. Like every, all coaches have like, hey, let's push it down the back burner. I think from day one we're gonna we're going right into team play. You know, I, I'm a big believer in that, um, yeah. and I think that will help our club personally. This might be our last look at Jonathan Taves here. I'm sure you've coached yeah. enough against him and seen him on the ice, and he. He's the epitome of everything you want in a captain. What are your yeah. lasting memories of him? Just the playoff series. Um, you know, it's a luxury to have those guys as a coach, right? Like, you watch them, you know, you need a big, important face-off. Landover appeared. Who do you throw out there? Uh, there's a six-on-five. You need a goal. Who do you throw out there? There's a big penalty kill. Um, you have to shut down the other team's, you know, in a seven-game series, best player, like, He's that guy, you know. It's, it's 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 so when you're behind the bench, when you have those type of guys to to roll over, um, 
he's a luxury. And, uh, you know, and he's obviously, uh, if this, you know, I don't know, I think there's still some hockey left in him. I don't know his decision, but I think there's still some hockey left in him. In 2011, when they were down 3 nothing to the Canucks in the first round in the United Center after that game, he said to us, we haven't exposed them for who they really are yet. And, of course, they come back and force game seven. He scores to force overtime. That, that's just the epitome of him, right? Yeah, I, I just, you know, every day you walk in, you have those guys sitting in those meetings. Um, they just they just keep, they, they don't go away. They just, they, they never give up. And I think that's uh, why Chicago is so successful. You know, he's a main part of that. Is it like having extra coaches almost when you have guys like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, like the little forest fires, is, is you're, as a coach, those are the guys that put the little fires out, mm-hmm. you know. You know, before it becomes a blaze, that's when a coach has to stop, <laughs> step in there. But those guys, they're they're like little firemen. They they just I say little fire, they're firemen. They just they just put the flames out for the coaches. They 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 help they help coaches immensely. You said yesterday you were leaning toward Demko. Is it Demko? Today? Yeah, Deb's, Deb's playing tonight. Yeah. And with McCord, like you don't have a lot of veterans on the left side yeah. right now. He's already he skated with Burroughs at practice yesterday. Is that sort of the plan, or what do you? Well, I think we got. Uh, we'll mix him around. He'll play with Bear a little bit too. You know, I'm not a big righty righty guys, but um, sometimes you have to. You know, um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. You know, we got to get him out there too. You know, like he, like we said, we just can't play Hughesy all night. You got to let these guys feel it. You know, give them, put them in some situations, and uh, and if they make a mistake, they make a mistake. And you mentioned the work you've done with McDonough. I mean, he's four games in. His feet are not even wet in the NHL yet. But yeah. where is he? Where do you think? Like, what have you seen in four games? Now? Just awareness, uh, the speed of the game. You know, scanning the ice. Those are things that guys that have not been playing the NHL probably are lacking. You know, is knowing where you know what's in front of you. You know, what's behind you. You know, reading the play instead of when you know. You get the puck, and then you read the play. The real good players read the play before the puck gets to them, um, and that's something that those are mental reps and, and uh, physical reps. And he'll get there. Yeah. If he can be a wall guy to go with the other attributes, I mean, that's what you're. Well, I mean, you know, we just, you know, we've got a little taste. The last 10, 10 days is our wall play or our battle mm-hmm. play has not been. You know, there might be a little bit of in and out personnel, but I still think that we have to get better as a, a team. Um, to, to you know, meet pressure with pressure. Those games against LA, Vegas, even Seattle, for that matter, does it tell guys that this is where you got, this is what you got to do to get to where we want to be? Oh, a million percent. Yeah, you measure yourself for the best. You know, like, you know, this is a copycat league. You know, Colorado was the best team in the league last year. Um, you know, and they'll be in the mix this year. But uh, you know, what are they doing? What kind of players do they have? That's what you look. You measure against the best. And as an individual, you're like, hey, how do I get there? So that's the best approach to, uh, to get to that level, if you can get there. You talked about the injuries to Juleson, Pod Colson, and Willan a little bit. They're all eligible for the AHL playoffs, which start in two weeks. Is there hope that they're <clears throat> going to be back for the AHL playoffs, or is any of them? Sure? Yeah, I think, uh, uh, no, I think they're, they're, they're trending to, to that, uh, that uh, playoffs. Yeah, that's two weeks away. I, I don't know exactly the day, but uh, they are trending to, to being able to play. And when the HL playoffs get going, what's it going to be like for you to follow that team, watch the team, yeah. be around the team? I'll, I'll probably go to a couple games, yeah. Be, it, like, I, love, I love watching playoff hockey. It, even, you know, I went down the other day. I love the, uh, like, a couple weeks ago, I went the atmosphere. So it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be fun to see some guys that, uh, who have a chance to make our team next year in a playoff style of uh, atmosphere, pressure games. 
What's the uh, timeline on Nikeo to skate? How far away is he? Uh, I don't know the exact date, but he's really progressing. I mean, he's in there throwing some weight around now. Like, it's, it's, uh, he's come a long way. And he's still got, you know, four, four and a half months. Yeah. Like, so he's got... He's trending in the right direction. Played a lot of jam for a guy trying to play through that, right? Well, I just—I mean, I when I first got here, he, you know, you know, he was telling he wanted to play a few games before he got surgery just to show. I mean, I mean, that's character, big character for me. Yeah. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett uh, with lots of thoughts, plenty of stuff in there from Rick Tockett as uh, as we were talking about earlier, talking about can Anthony Bovillier be a pest type player along with Elias Pettersson. And Andre Kuzmenko also confirming uh, Quinn Hughes, who is out with uh, a sickness. He, I think he said strep throat there uh, of practice yesterday. Will uh, will play tonight. Um, Rathbone, it looks like, is going to come out and confirmed that the new signing, Cole McWard, will make an NHL debut against the Blackhawks. Nice spot to make your NHL debut. <laughs> I'm I'm just excited about little fireman, Jonathan Taves. <laughs> little, the little fireman. The littlest fireman. It's a very cute image. He puts out fires and he's tiny. Puts out fires before they become blazes. <laughs> puts out just the little fires. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't ask a little fireman to, to put out a big fire. A blaze. Yeah. That wouldn't be fair. No, it wouldn't. And uh, pl- plus, like, you know, they're mostly ornamental. <laughs> uh, well, we've had a little fireman reference and a land predators reference <laughs> yeah, today okay. as well. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't be calling out Rick Tockett's I'm not metaphors. Sure. I, I'm when not I'm... sure which one. Was land, more surprising. Land predator. Picture a <laughs> land predator. <laughs> Wait, that's what you wanted me to picture? Excuse me? Oh, um, man. Do you think do you think Jonathan Taves goes into the Hall of Fame as a Blackhawk or as a little fireman? <laughs> I thought you were going to say or as a land predator. <laughs> I don't know. It's a great question. That's um, Pecorine. Pecorine will go into the Hall of Fame as a land sure. predator. Uh, also, Rick Tockett confirming that um, we might have to do that in the offseason, by the way, though. Like, do an animal comp for every Canucks player. Well, We've uh, already got Swedish Mamba for Pedersen, thanks to, thanks uh, to, thanks Dom, to Dom. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, one, the other one that I like, I, I heard Ben Kuzma ask specifically, can he be a wall guy, right? So we're like legit just like using Rick Tockett's terminology now to discuss this team. And I was just thinking, you know, who, you know who's the best wall guy of all time? Who? Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. I regret playing along with that. <laughs> I regret contributing to that on the show today. Uh, Anyways, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, and we will wrap up the show with my favorite segment. It's 10 minutes of positivity. Oh, no. Uh, by the way, I will um, I will I'll start with this one, a listener submission. Uh, James from Richmond texts in, Great show today, Drance, which I thanks James for not including <laughs> me. But anyways, he says, Great show today, Drance. I don't even need the ten minutes of positivity today uh, to help me get on with my day. LOL. So I don't know, like I'm worried that you're gonna take the wrong message from that and be like, ah, I wasn't negative enough today. I got to go even harder tomorrow, but I uh, just wanted to get some Sorry, positive. Are you, are you sick of the negativity? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, just just take it in stride. Take the compliment in stride. It was like, it's a compliment. Don't get worried about what it means is okay. what I'm saying. Um, why do we use Baroque music as the intro? Like, shouldn't we be using, like, Pharrell? Like, like happy? <laughs> yeah, maybe we could mix it up. I don't know. I think it's because it's supposed to be calm. Right. Do you okay. want to produce the show, too? <laughs> No, that's okay, Swedish Mamba. You got this. 
Do not come for Dom's responsibilities. He's protecting his turf. All right, you know what? You know what? If it's not Baroque, Dom, don't fix it. <laughs> very good. Um, I've got a bunch today. I've got a few, which I'm very excited about. So, D- D- Dom, lover of Baroque music, can't handle the criticism. I don't think Dom gets that one. Handle the criticism? Look it up. Um, I've got a bunch <laughs> today. And the first one is... Thank goodness. The Rick Tockett appreciation for Akito Hirose. And I'm not even, uh, like, the way, the reason I'm including this in my 10 minutes of positivity, it's not even like, and therefore Hirose will do X in the NHL or for the Canucks. There's just something infectious about somebody else being really into something. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. somebody else being passionate and taking joy out of something is just fun to watch. It's endearing. And Rick Tockett has... Taking a lot of joy out of Kikito Hirose already. And yesterday, not in today's uh, presser as much, but yesterday after practice, he got asked about him again. And like one of the things he said, which I loved, was he was really impressed with some of like Hirose's technique in winning battles against the Kraken to the point where they were using it as teaching tape for some of the other players. Like, hey, look at this guy was doing. That, that worked really well for him, right? And he was asked about uh, Hirose's kind of super calm demeanor, and he was joking like, Maybe the guy should start like a Zen breathing club with some of the other players on the bench who are trying to, you know, learn how to regulate uh, in that way. Uh, the teaching tape thing just cracked me up. Like we're two games in and talk. It's like this is how I want you to be playing defense right here. And again, there's just something very joyful about that to me to see a coach embrace a player right off the bat like that. Did you hear uh, Hirose's post game availability on Tuesday? Yes. Where I was just like, are you always like this? Are you always so unflappable, bud? Um, Akito Hirose's Zen act is truly impressive. It's great. Yeah, it's really awesome. It's great. And so often we think of like personality as being like uh, outsized. You know what I mean? Like you're boisterous, you're, you're, you're loud, and like that's how you have personality. It's like this is just like a different type of personality, but it's still kind of entertaining. It's still fun. It's still like a nice change of pace. Uh, relative to what we often see in hockey. But, um, yeah, so I'm enjoying, like, I'm enjoying Hirose himself, and I'm also enjoying how much Tockett enjoys uh, Akito Hirose so far. I'm, I'm really loving that one. The other one I wanted to get in here, and he's been a, um, a topic of conversation in passing the last couple of days on the show, or really all this week. Uh, shout out to Jonathan LeCaramacki. Three goals in five playoff games. Um Again, I'm not even going to like try to tie this into, and therefore he's back on track, and therefore he's trending upwards again, anything like that. But just for a guy who's had tough break after tough break after tough break since being drafted by the Canucks, getting back on the ice, being productive, scoring some goals for his team in a big spot, just like a desperately needed positive boost, confidence, whatever you want to call it, like just for him – and him and his joy playing hockey, I am happy that he's getting some goals in the playoffs. Yeah, 100%. It's, it, he really needs to bounce back next year. And yeah. so to get some positive traction before the offseason begins, I think is, you know, uh, hard. It's impossible to put a price on that from Lekaramaki's yeah. perspective. Uh, you know, needed to see it and uh, good for him. 
Uh, Marcus and Gibson's text in. 10 minutes of positivity. The school of talk it is in session. Good thing we have so many college students on the team. <laughs> A lot of guys are used to doing some learning at the NCAA level. Uh, Carlos texts in. Uh, positive thoughts. The Sens are going to just miss the playoffs and will be the perfect destination for pay to JT Mi- pay for JT Miller, seeing as how they paid for Travis Hamanick. Some wishful thinking there from Carlos. I like it. Absolutely. I like wishful. where his head's at. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, by the way, we also have lots of people now texting in um, like superhero comps for uh, for players. Oh, I'm really into that. Uh, What's so going on? This guy texts in. Uh, you know who would be really hard on the forecheck is Juggernaut. Yeah, Juggernaut. Very good point. I yeah. mean, I think I think. Of all the He'd roles. be like Brent Burns. Do you remember when Brent Burns played forward? Played forward, yeah. And when and when he was so when Brent Burns got moved to forward on Joe Thornton's line, when he'd go in on the forecheck, you could hear it on the broadcast. He'd go like, ah! He'd like have this like scream. He had like a rebel yell. Then he'd like so right before you'd see a hit, you'd hear Brent Burns have like a ah! He'd like roar at defensemen, and I always thought that would be terrifying. Could you imagine a gentleman like Brent, Brent Burns, Burns who can like really screaming move? and bearing down on you? Yeah, I mean, I would just be like, just take the puck, man. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! <laughs> uh, perfect. No, I think I it was slightly more menacing than that. I haven't done my positivity. Okay, go. Over the last ten years, the Vancouver Canucks have the seventh worst point percentage in the NHL. Wait. I thought you said you were going to do your positivity. I'm getting to it. Of those seven teams who rate worse than Vancouver in point percentage over the last 10 years, six of them have a better point percentage than the Canucks okay, do this season. You're really taking the long route to the, uh, to, <laughs> to, the, to the positivity here. So that leaves us with one, and it's the Arizona Coyotes. So, and I think it's just worth – reminding people and processing this because the six teams behind them new jersey detroit seattle they all have a far more direct path forward here to being really good than the vancouver canucks do which leaves the canucks at least this organization has been better run than arizona and there's your positivity from me today. The just we got like two minutes here, <laughs> less than. You're just like, why would you drop this bomb now? <laughs> the letter, How dare you? like it's a little outside the purview of our show, but the the statement about the lawsuit from the Coyotes against Phoenix and like yeah. oh, they're they're pushing back against the bullying bureaucrats in Phoenix. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And obviously, it's some sort of ploy to like gin up public support i guess by like going after politicians who are obviously inherently unpopular but when i saw that letter like my first thought was oh they're terrified they're gonna lose the vote like to me that is such a like desperate flailing statement it's like oh man we got this big vote coming up and we think we're gonna lose what can we do to change things this is something yeah it feels like the arizona thing is it's been untenable for a while but it really does feel like it could come to a head uh, really quickly this offseason. Anyway, among the other teams behind the Canucks on that list, there's five Red Wings, Kraken, Sabres, Senators, Devils. Are there any situations there that you would not trade for right now? No. Uh, Brandon Vancouver. So that of- leaves the Canucks in the company of the NHL's exclusive laundromat. Uh Brandon in Vancouver, I like this because he's doing the same thing here. He says, being positive, Drance has set a new standard for backhanded compliments. (laughs) You're better than the Coyotes. Yeah, but he's saying, like, you've reached a new standard. (laughs) 
of giving out backhanded compliments. Well, I'm like a land predator. Yes, you're exactly <laughs> like a land predator. Or or perhaps more like a little fireman. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, enjoy the game against the Blackhawks. We will be on the air tomorrow, so if you have the day off, uh, make sure you tune in or are a part of the show. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.